So as I was studying uh, this passage this, this week and, and uh, wondering if there was, uh, we were biting off too much here, and uh, I did. We, we won't get to our third uh, point in your notes there. But uh, a picture kept coming to my mind, and I, and I know sometimes you might be like, some of these pictures, J.D., are weird, you know, <laughs> but they make some of the best illustrations in terms of uh, how, how, do you, how do you explain this? How, how do, what sort of picture paints what is being stated here, what is being described? And I, and I picture a general in his bunker commanding an army that is surrounded, that is trapped, that is uh, being uh, whittled down, that is des- in desperate need of saving in desperate need of the situation, turning around completely, hoping for reinforcements, cranky and anxious, this general paces back and forth. And finally, he hears from headquarters, and it's in the form of a lowly messenger bringing a message. He looks at this messenger, and and he thinks, "I, I don't need a message. I need reinforcements. I need help. And taking the message from the messengers tells him, get out of here. I don't need another person just standing around here doing nothing. And even as the messenger is kind of looking at him, just kind of blank-faced, waiting for him to read the message, he's telling him, if I see you again, I'm going to shoot you. You hear me? Get out of here. Then opening the message up to read, the man bearing this message is our latest cyborg super soldier. Just get behind him, and he'll lead you out, and he'll save the day. That's kind of the picture I have in my mind of what is being communicated in these first two chapters of Hebrews as we look at the perfect messenger for God's perfected message. Jesus is the perfect messenger for God's perfected message, the gospel. We see this in, in the, the hinge verses of chapters 1 through 2 that kind of explain the point here where we read, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Now, something that's helpful to understand is in part of the Hebrew argument of why something should be heeded, why something is valuable, why something is important. One of the, one of the ways to do that is to say, now if this thing is this important and it's a lesser thing, how much better must or more important must this thing be, which is a greater thing. If this thing which is lesser is is valuable, how much more valuable must this greater thing be? How much more valuable must this better thing be? If this lesser thing is important, it's referring to the law that came by angels, which is, which is referenced in Deuteronomy, that, that angels were a part of the giving of the law. And it had every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. If this lesser 
the law of Moses given by angels was important to heed, how much more important is the gospel declared by the Messiah himself important for us to heed? And as F.F. F. Bruce says, as God had no greater messenger than his son, he had no further message beyond the gospel. Our passage flows from statements about Jesus' future reign, this future reign of this perfect king. If you recall, it was, um, they, they were quoting psalms that were describing the, the king of Israel enthroned and, and declared to be, because you're sitting on David's throne, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and, and pointing ahead to the fact that the son of God would sit on David's throne and be the perfect king. And so he's looking ahead to that future reign. And that's what leads into our verses here this morning. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I don't know if you noticed this yet, but verse 9 of chapter 2 is the first place in the book of Hebrews where Jesus is named. He goes through all of this to remind these Hebrew believers of the importance of the one who will sit on David's throne. And he goes into reminding them of how amazing it was when the law of Moses was given and and was declared to them and how important it was for them to follow and and how, how much more important it is then for the one that is declared by God himself to be followed. And he's building up their importance here of of the Son of Man uh, who will sit on David's throne and everything being put in subjection under his feet and then finally stating, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's communicating to them how special it is that they are followers of Jesus. And so 
I want to challenge us here this morning. While we wait for Jesus to exercise his rightful control, we must be caretakers of the message of the gospel. We must be caretakers of the message of the gospel. We, We see this in the first verse and the last verse of the passage here. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, there are plenty of places in this letter in which the writer kind of pinpoints certain groups of people within the, the readers. This, this letter, different than all other epistles in the New Testament, it's written to a people group. And this people group is made up of different perspectives. It's made up of different uh, groups of people in their relationship to Christ. So there are places in this letter where he's saying, you should be teachers already. You should be careful that you don't fall away. But here he's saying, we, including himself, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I think the value in understanding here is it has a generational sense that what we do with the gospel now will affect how the next generation approaches the gospel. And that drifting, that slow drift is one that will happen over generations. So keep that in mind. So he tells them, pay attention. This means to hold firmly to, to continue to believe, to be in a state of alert. It means to give great care to. Imagine, if you will, you're in a grocery store and there is a, a, a young mom that has a, uh, their baby in a uh, car seat and the baby's not strapped in. And she takes the baby and kind of sets it up on a counter and she's looking at something and that baby's just kind of rocking back and forth on that counter. Now, we as men, we would just kind of be like, oh, it'll be okay. You know, uh, the ladies here would be like getting closer and closer like, okay, I've got to care for this situation. I've got to pay attention uh, because nobody else is paying attention to this. It seems that in these words, pay much closer attention. There seems to be an awareness that there's a danger lurking about. And the opposite of paying attention to what we have heard, the opposite we find in verse 3, neglecting such a great salvation. What's the danger of not giving care to the uh, holding firmly to the gospel? That's what we have heard and and uh, we'll look at, it's laid out in verse 9. The danger is drifting away. This means to give up, to drift away from a belief. To to think of it as getting caught in a slow, steady current, which it might not even feel like you're moving at all. And and if you drift off, uh, you know, if if you fall asleep, and then kind of look up. You ever have that happen? Those of you that are able to go to the beach, and, and uh, especially in the Gulf of Mexico side where there's not really waves and things, you get out there on your inner tube, and if you were to just fall asleep, you'd look up and be like, 
that doesn't look like any of the houses that were there when I fell asleep. Because it's just a slow drift down the beach. To get caught in a slow, steady current. That's the danger, drifting away. And and what is it that they have heard? Aside from, he he does mention uh, the message declared by angels. How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that was declared first by the Lord? So he he does get into it in the earlier verses, but in verse 9, he really describes it. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The gospel. That substitutionary death of Christ. Makes me think of that chorus. Um, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now you can have that song going around in your head for the rest of the uh, morning here. What they had heard was that when Jesus had made purification for sins, he sat down in his throne again. When Jesus had made purification for sins, the gospel is the fact that Jesus has made purification for sins. Suffering, death, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Recall that this is all looking back at the significance of that moment when Jesus, having made purification for sins, sat down on his throne. F.F. Bruce says this, for there, is, for there at God's right hand he sits enthroned and crowned with glory and honor. Jesus who became man. Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Jesus who endured death. This Jesus has been raised to the place of highest exaltation and reigns there until all opposition to his sovereignty comes to an end. Then, indeed, in the fullest degree will be seen all things subjected to him. So having established that we should be careful not to drift away from the truth of the gospel, we see in our passage here the reasons why it is vitally important. First of all, be caretakers of the message of the gospel because of God's great salvation. If I were to read this again, it would be because it's a great salvation. This is, this is the deal of a lifetime. This is something that we in our generation, in trusting Christ as our Savior, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, You have taken advantage of a great salvation, but it is a great salvation to be passed on to the next generation. 
There's a concern that the reasons my, the readers here might slide away from valuing the gospel, as F.F. F. Bruce describes, if not by the overt renunciation of the gospel, then possibly by detaching themselves increasingly from its public profession until it ceases to have an influence upon their lives. That's the danger. In other words, the temptation was to hide their faith and allow it to, to so shrink in the gospel's importance in their lives that basically it had no impact anymore. This great salvation is the fact that Jesus himself made purification for sins. And being that the gospel is a great salvation, it carries greater consequence if ignored. That's, remember, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, look at the law. Every little thing in it required. If a man accidentally should break God's law in this way, he needs to make up for it by making this sacrifice. If a man should, uh, on purpose, do this, he might end up stoned. And he calls it a just retribution, saying, there was a justice involved here, folks. And then he's saying, if this is how the lesser message was treated, how terrible will it be for someone to say, eh, I don't need Jesus' purification for sins. I think I got this on my own. It is a greater retribution. If the gospel is ignored, one should expect nothing but the full judgment of God. And we, if you have received Christ as your Savior, keep hold of it. Keep it as vitally important of in your life and in your interactions for those who have not. This is what we must be doing. God's people are always one generation away from obliteration, from loss of impact and loss of the gospel. We are to cling to it. It also had a greater proclamation. It's a great salvation because it had a greater proclamation. I mean, look at this um, lineup. It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, speaking of those that he was writing to, by those who heard, so the apostles or the disciples or, or those who had followed Christ came and had brought the message to these Hebrew people. Maybe it was, was um, Hebrews that were there at Pentecost and, and uh, when the Holy Spirit uh, came and the church was created and, and they heard the gospel there and then they, they left after that. But, so it was declared first by the Lord and it was attested by, to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Uh, I think this is kind of the New Testament progress of proclaiming the gospel. Jesus and his, and his disciples in the gospels and the spread of the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the book of Acts. But the big contrast here is the law was declared by angels versus versus the gospel that was declared by the Lord himself. 
the Messiah, the reigning king, the perfect prophet, priest, and king. You know, somebody might make the excuse, you know, if, if I, like, walked the earth, maybe, when Jesus was teaching, then maybe, maybe if I could see it, maybe then I could believe. Well, first of all, if you'd been on the earth during this time, you, probably, you, you would not probably have been among the point zero 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 one percent of people that actually got to hear Jesus proclaim the gospel. But look at the truth that we have for us in the scriptures. The gospel proclaimed from four different perspectives in the gospels. And and then to watch the gospel spread by God's power through the book of Acts, to have the gospel explained in the epistles. These are no small things, people. This is no small truth. It is truth that we are expected to listen to and to pay attention to. Be caretakers of the message of the gospel because of God's great salvation. You know, I, I went to summer camp as a kid a lot, and and I had some weeks at summer camp that were better than others. Usually it had to do with, you know, if I was in a cabin full of bullies. I, I was never the bully kid, you know, um, which I'm glad for, but, you know. Uh, and I had some favorite camp counselors. Usually they were counselors that, uh, like, kept the bullies uh, to, to a minimum and stuff. But, but imagine you, you had a favorite camp counselor and he just happened to be your favorite because he saved you from drowning in a river. I mean, I think that probably qualifies your favorite pretty quickly. Especially if he saved you from drowning in a river at the cost of their own life. I would imagine, you know, your parents would probably keep this as your favorite camp counselor, probably with newspaper clippings, you know, pinned on the walls, framed and pinned on the walls. Boy or girl saved by camp counselor at the cost of their own life. Maybe they'd be, be reminding you, saying, I, we, know, we don't know what we would have done if, if we had lost you. We're so grateful to that person. Y- you wouldn't be thinking, I must be pretty amazing that somebody gave their life to save me. That probably would not be your thinking. We have such a great salvation. A great salvation to experience and a great salvation to share. And it can be drifted away from. It can be drifted away from. Just because it is such a great salvation doesn't mean we should say, well, you know, it's not like our culture is just going to lose it. It has. It has many times historically. It's on its way there, I'll tell you that. We must keep the truth of the gospel relationship with God as what defines our lives. It does. If you know Christ, it defines your life whether you know it or not. Get to know it. Anything less is allowing us to drift 
from it as, as a corporate body or, or as a people. And the generations that follow us, they are not going to learn how important the gospel is to us because of the words we say. They are going to learn how important the gospel is to us because of the sacrifices we make for it. They are going to learn how important the gospel is to us because of the sacrifices we are willing to make for it. Be caretakers of the message of the gospel. And the second reason here is because Jesus will reign in the future. Now, we get into some, some uh, interesting statements here that for us, we kind of have to get into these readers' point of view to kind of catch it all. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Okay, so he's talking about the world to come. He's talking about the world in which the Lord will finally sit on his throne. Okay? And then he quotes from Psalm 8. What is man? And I love the, it has been testified somewhere. Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. You see where I'm going to get in, get into this here. Okay, right now. All right, so originally this psalm well, let's work backwards, all right? We know when we read this that when the son of man is talked about in this psalm. It's talking about Jesus. The son of man that you care for him. You made for him, him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Part of why we know he's speaking about Jesus is um, in verse 9. He says, but we see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Okay, so, so he fills in the messianic uh, um, explanation of this psalm here. But Jesus described himself as being the son of man. Um, and it was expected that the Messiah would be the Son of Man. And we'll explain why that is. I've got, this is our worship sheet from the at-risk service. So, so um, and we read through these things. Um, right, and, and, he, and he, he describes himself the Son of Man. Matthew 24 is excellent for this because he, he says it like five or six times. He says, for so as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. 
Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in, in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have been let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Why is it that by the time Jesus came on the scene, the Son of Man was already understood as being a title for the coming Messiah? Well, it goes back to Daniel 7. Okay? Um, Daniel 7 verses 13 through 14 tells us this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days... And was presented before him. And you'd be like, well, J.D., that's talking, that says, now he's saying like a son of man. No, understand that calling Jesus the son of man is adding, okay, he's son of God and he's son of man. He's the God man, okay? But here's why we know Daniel 7 is talking about the coming Messiah. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, so from this point forward, the Hebrews are like, oh, this son of man guy, this is the Redeemer. This is the Messiah. This is the one that's going to sit on David's throne and his dominion and his kingdom is never going to end. Okay, so that's why when the writer to Hebrews quotes Psalm 8, they're cued in. Okay, he's talking about the Son of Man. He's talking about the Messiah. Okay, when Psalm 8 was written, David was just thinking in terms of how, what an honor it was, it is for man and women, to, for mankind to be created in the image of God. He describes it as, um, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So, or our descendants. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. But note this, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So when David's describing mankind, he's describing the dominion that we have as having been made in the image of God. And, and the responsibility that we have had to, to be caretakers of this creation. But when Jesus is being referred to putting everything in subjection under his feet, having been crowned with glory and honor, at, by this time, the understanding of the coming Messiah, it, they're cued in. He's talking about the future reign of Christ as the Son of Man. So you've got to get the, the lesser to get the greater Understanding here, the lesser here is talking about our reign over creation. 
that we were created to have, the dominion that we were created to have. The greater reign is that of Jesus. Yes, Psalm 8 says that all creation was put in subjection under our feet. This is attitude to talk about Jesus' reign of everything being put under his feet. He will reign over a better world to come. Remember what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 says, but to the Son, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Remember what he says about verse, uh, from verses 10 through 12 of chapter 1. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth at the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Okay, so that's, that's what we've been given dominion over. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Jesus will visibly sit on his throne as a fulfillment of prophecy, and one day nothing will remain of what we see and know of this physical world. Jesus is going to change it like a pair of sheets on a bed and set up his perfect reign. And he will have a greater reign as the second Adam. So Hebrews, uh, Psalm 8 is speaking of the wonder of God creating man in his own image and caring for us, crowned as the pinnacle of creation, able to live in communion with God himself, given dominion over the whole world in order to use it to worship God. That's why we were given this world. Sadly, it did not take long for, for mankind to welcome God's enemy right into the garden. That's what we did with our dominion. That's what we did with our caretaking. And this unleashed a doomsday device called sin, bringing death, disease, and conflict to everything and everyone. That's our dominion. That's our caretaking. And Jesus has a greater reign. His reign will not be screwy like ours. Mankind is trying to redefine everything foundational to human existence. Uh, Understand this, folks. The closer the issue gets to Genesis 1-1, the more vital it is the more foundational it is to human existence. And man is bent on redefining marriage and redefining what it means to be a man or a woman, to redefining what it means to be human. You're not human until you're out of the womb. And if you're not useful anymore, you're not human anymore. Mankind has been redefined redefining even what it means to be created. Do you know why we call things creatures? Because they've been created. So what man has done with our dominion is to use the opportunity to try to unravel the very foundation of God's creation. But Jesus' 
reign will be a better world to come. And he has a greater reign as the second Adam. You can read about that in Romans 5. He talks about, whereas with the first Adam, through the first Adam, uh, the first Adam through sin brought death. The second Adam through one act of righteousness, speaking of Christ, through one act of righteousness brought life. You know, the... I'm just going to, we're just going to touch on what we'll look at next week. Be caretakers of the message of the gospel because Jesus became our substitute. In putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Can I get an amen to that? But we see him who for a little while, listen to Psalm 8 again, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, still quoting Psalm 8, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, just to give you a heads up, one of the targets of false teaching today is the substitutional death of Christ. People do not want to admit that our sin is so heinous that it required the penalty of death in the first place. And that that penalty could be paid by no one but Jesus himself. as a substitution for us. And and people don't want to admit that God would be so loving to sacrifice his own son in order to pay the price for our sin. Uh, Memorial Day originally was called Decoration Day. And it was called Decoration Day because it was the day when we would memorialize, when we would remember the death of those who died for our freedom by decorating their tombs, decorating their graves. And sadly, I would agree with Albert Moeller that I read recently, a nation that has not, is not grateful for those who have died in its service is a nation that doesn't deserve that service, nor the liberty that was thereby purchased and defended. And I think we're losing a lot of those liberties. When Jesus returned to his throne, having made purification for sins, he took on himself the decoration of being crowned with glory and honor. And understand, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Jesus did not make purification for sins outside of dying and rising again because we needed it desperately. And we are to keep memorializing his sacrifice. Not because he, he's sacrificed and is dead, but he sacrificed himself and died and 
rose again. And that we proclaim. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that pays much closer attention to what we have heard. As has been said in other places of what is of first importance that Jesus died, that he was buried, and then he rose again all according to the scriptures. Lord, I pray that we would, uh, while we have a personal relationship with, with Christ, we have that opportunity and that's wonderful. 